Good morning and welcome to Dateline New Haven. I'm your host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven tick. Nothing ticks better than Pundit Friday, which we're about to begin here in the WNHH studio with the number one pundits in the media universe. There was one missing here. Is he around? Okay. Well, we got pundits like the dairy-free goddess of our grassroots radio operation, the belle of our ball, Babs Earls Ivy, host of Love Babs, Love Talk, and editor of the Inner City News. Morning, hey, Babs. Hey, 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 hey. You're in hey. your home stretch here after a long week of radio talk. Yes, yeah, a good week, too. And you're, looking, you're looking at all. And we got the queen of quippery and contestants of compassion, Lavosi Spanish publisher, Norma Rodriguez-Reyes. Que pasa? We got the flyest news hunter-gatherer this side of Fleet Street. The She's Everywhere in New Haven, Marquisha Ricks, New Haven Independent Star Reporter. Uh, yeah, we, we didn't hear you there. Let's just skates. say again. Okay, there you go. And we got New Haven Station Manager, Harry D. Donald Trump devotee, Harry Drost, the bravest no, man not in New Haven. Trump. I got to move closer to Joe. I'm supposed to be. Uh, and we got the bright light, the New Haven Knight, the straight shooter from the Bermuda. The bright light in the, the New Haven The mystical and metaphorical man like on the that. money. That's fine. The just-in-time judge of jackals and japery, the sentinel just of serenity, in- sincerity, and salvation. The Poobah of unparalleled political passion and perspicacity. He knows how to savor the flavor of misbehavior while tackling <laughs> titans. While tackling the titans of tackiness and turpitude. Uh-oh. He's the That's maximum funny. mixologist, Joe Ugly of Joe Ugly Show in the morning. Welcome, everybody. Good morning, sir. Morning. How's the crew doing? Hey, where's um Tony Harp? Stand up. Where's Tony? Tony? <laughs> anyway, Tony, hey, Tony, where's Tony? I think she outside with a sign. <laughs> Where's New Haven Mayor Tony Harp? Tony, stand up. You're doing a great job yeah. up there in New Haven. Yeah. <laughs> you know how he likes to sing about the sisters. Mm. That's right. That's right. <laughs> who perhaps these earrings are cute. Well, for the, if there's a single um, listener out there who doesn't know what we're talking about, she, she, so we know where Tony Harp we, is. We do. She's in Washington, D.C. She is. But President Donald Trump did not know where who's Tony right, Harp was on Wednesday. <laughs> President Trump had invited a bunch of mayors She's to the, the White House. president we recognize is Obama. <laughs> president Trump had invited mayors to the White House, a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. For a quick photo op. Yep. Mm-hmm. But a few hours before he did that, Tony Harp, one of the invitees, was at another White House meeting. Right. While she's there talking to them about how they're pretending they want to work with New Haven, mm-hmm. she gets a text about a headline. The Trump administration has just served dozens of cities with depositions, sanctuary cities, to say, you're going to have to prove you're complying with our policies to share information on not on uh, undocumented workers or we're going to sue you and take money away. And she said, oh my God, this is a setup. Mm-hmm. That was her word. This is a setup. They want us here while they're announcing this attack. And plus, New Haven's a sanctuary city. We have right. policies not for violent offenders. Matter of fact, we work the federal government better than any city around in getting violent offenders behind bars, which is why we just had our lowest rates of violence in 50 years. Mm-hmm. But we do not, like even conservative police chiefs in other parts of the country, we've concluded that to keep our city safer and everybody safer, Nonviolent undocumented workers need to feel comfortable dealing with our police so we don't inquire into, the inquire into their immigration status and we have a policy of not sharing information about them with the federal government. So she said, oh my God, are they coming after New Haven? And whether or not, I don't want to set up. So she didn't show up at 3.37 p.m. when 100 mayors were waiting to have their photo op with Donald Trump. Donald Trump didn't know this. <laughs> so he says, we're going to recognize three great mayors in New Haven. Not is his great strength. <laughs> he said, we're going to recognize three great mayors in New Haven. So the first one stood up. Second one stood up and he said, and Tony Harp, New Haven, doing a oh great job. Gosh. Stand up, Tony. <laughs> Tony. Tony Harp, where's Tony? 
Tony wasn't there. So then he figured it out. He said, I think it was deliberate. I don't I, think that was. Yeah, I think it was. So he figured it out. He said, oh, she must be one of those sanctuary city mayors. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then this is what was. How convenient. Th- this is what I didn't realize until I watched the video. When I just read the transcript, I said, oh, maybe one part of government didn't know what yeah, the other was right. doing. They brought in the mayors on the same day, and then they mm-hmm. did this anti-mayor policy. Mm-hmm. But when I watched the video, I understood what Tony Harp figured out instantly about the setup. Mm-hmm. When you have those events at a photo op, they usually give the politician, in this case Trump, a scripted so. sentence yep. or two for the soundbite. Mm-hmm. This is going to be the message of the event. Everything else is ad lib. So when you watch the video, you notice mm-hmm. Trump was ad libbing except when he said the following as soon as he segged away from Tony and Sanctuary City Mayors. He then gave a scripted message for the soundbite about how today my administration served subpoenas mm-hmm. on sanctuary cities and made Correct. a case of how terrible they are. So that was his message. So he was using a hundred mayors as a visual backdrop yeah. yep. for an attack yep. on cities like New Haven. He's been doing this from jump. It's not new. What was interesting to me was how Tony Harp is the mayor of a small city. She figured it out. She was in Washington and she instantly figured it out. This is what See? smart, intelligent people do. Right. Well, they I'm not smart and intelligent because I wouldn't have figured that they out. They understand no. the lay of the land. But this is but this is politics. Right. And you've got a president who is who has I mean, listen. White folks, we took the page from when he hauled all those HBCU presidents Correct. up to that to that to that White House. Hauled them all up. They all went running. And then what did he do? He used Slapped them all yep. and took Used away and stuff. And and they ended up looking like fools. Right, so in that case, you feel used because he wants your photo up with you. And then what he's actually going to do the next day or in private is going to hurt you. That we knew. I thought was, was brilliant strategically about Tony Harp's instant decision was that she figured out something a little more. I think that they... She, I would, I always think like when two things happen that seem to be contradictory, like you're inviting mayors and then you're doing something to make mayors look bad, that that's usually two parts of government not talking to each other. It's usually bureaucratic. Cons- but not in this instance. No. But you're right. You're right. I mean, you're obviously right. This is his yeah. playbook. Right. Yeah. yeah. He's for the photo op. So she Remember didn't know. all those people up to Trump Tower? Yeah. Hold all these people. MLK the third. <laughs> <laughs> but on that day, he didn't, on that day, he did not praise the people in Charlottesville. But on this day, he consciously invited mayors to a setting where he was going to consciously attack sanctuary cities with mayors in the room, looking like they were supportive. So, if Tony Harp said, "What if I'd been there and stood up?" What would have happened? Well, one thing that would have happened is that she would have participated in 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 a scripted event that she didn't realize was being used against her in her city. That's what I thought was so smart. And there was a second thing. The more I thought, I thought about this a lot about Tony Hart. The second thing that was really interesting to me was that she always talks about how women govern differently from men. And obviously there are exceptions. But Sixth sense. Th- but there was something really interesting about this. Women's addition. intuition. <laughs> so after her moment where he calls her out, she was in this news cycle, which used to be weeks. And now the news cycle is like three hours. Everybody wanted Tony on the air, TV stations, national media. She did give, you know, she took care of the hometown. She talked to us in the register. But after that, she consciously did not appear, did not make the most of a moment. Now, most politicians would say, well, gee, this is great for my cause. Trump attacked me. That puts me in the spotlight. I'm going to look good and I'm going to advance myself. And she would have gotten a news cycle where she got to be a big shot. Mm-hmm. But she didn't seize it. And I think this was also smart. Because it would not have gotten New Haven anything. It would have gotten her a quick ego buzz. Mm -hmm. 
which most politicians tell themselves that's also good for my city, but it wouldn't have done anything for a city. I know, but, but that's who she is. I'm saying, this is yeah. who she's been from the beginning. But she any never other man. says I or me. She always says we, we and, and us. us. She always has. And so. she also didn't feel a need to seize a moment of publicity for her own personal advancement. Because really, I would have done it. I would have said, here's my chance to go on all the national TV and And slam Trump for immigration. you are not Tony Harp. (laughs) Right, right. I really respect what she did. I mean, it would not have produced any benefit for her city. And I think she also probably had to balance the fact that, like, if she were to jump out there, she she isn't actually just representing New Haven. She is also the head of the African-American Mayors Association. Correct. So she, she could jump out ahead of those guys. But, like, she also, so she's like, dual role like she's like i yeah. said what i need to say and Which now i'm done talking to light, because she is the head of the african-american uh mayor's association. association that brings to light that that can you hear me now yeah okay that brings to light that yes it was a setup and he knew exactly what he was doing and like you said paul that following line tells exactly what he was doing and it was sharp you're right uh makisha she took her role seriously as head of that and realized that she was not just only representing New Haven, but other mayor, other cities that had black mayors. And strategically, and I, you got to know how to... what happened from that, mayors of non-black mayors also benefited from that move that she did. And I hope a lot of these people understand, you can, you can pick and choose your time to be in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Every time someone gives you an offer to be in the spotlight, there's not a necessary need. Most people don't know that. That's why I think she That's was special. That's why we have reality television. Right. Because I was, oh, no, I think most people know it. I just think they don't. They the bigger goal is their own self aggrandizement. Yeah. Yes, yes. yes. That's the because if you deal. think about it, one reason Trump often succeeds is opponents don't realize is that he loves to pick the reality TV fights. Right. It's really not a big Absolutely. deal whether she stood up, he was there, he's not there. Right? That's a typical Trump fight. He always wins in that. Mm-hmm. Even though the other person gets to have fame a little bit and be the big Trump fighter, that continually feeds the Trump personality fight so people don't pay attention to substance of policy and all that, and he gets to have the attention. I think she was kind of the grown-up in a way that, that she most always, people, is. Most people, <laughs> always is, but also that most people don't understand how to be in dealing with Donald Trump. What an interesting episode. It goes well, because, to show yeah. she knows how to play chess on the chessboard. She don't play checkers on the chessboard. That's the bottom line. <laughs> 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 but checkers, you see, I don't know how to play chess, so all I can play is checkers. Well, Neither do I. That's, that's, why that's why I didn't get what Tony Hart was doing. Like human yeah. chess. No, 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 what you're saying? <laughs> no, you know, um, by Tony not having gone national, I believe she was protecting New Haven even more. Not going in the crosshairs, um, right? She was protecting New Haven by not picking a fight with Trump that then he could retaliate against New Haven. Or all, all of his supporters that really believe that illegals shouldn't, you know, that undocumented shouldn't be here. So I, I think um, sometimes when you stay quiet, you end up winning a lot more than when you which has been the story now also what's been interesting to me folks was the play out in connecticut Mm -hmm. it was hilarious to me how everyone was running to the i also love tony hart bandwagon in the state not so much in the the city was interesting because the new haven independent comments so some people who like trump didn't like what she did Mm -hmm. people like tony like tony but there were a lot of people running and say i usually disagree with tony harp on substance in new haven i'm so proud of what she did she spoke for me way to go and then statewide the Hartford Current, which was vicious to her, 
the editorial page when she was a state senator. They Lonnie Grenier'd her. They mm -hmm. did pictures of her looking crazy here and made her sound like she was kind of crazy, dumb person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They wrote an editorial about how great she was and stood up to Trump. And all the Democratic politicians were racing to who could get out the first press release to praise Tony, the governor. Luke, my favorite was Luke Bronin, the mayor of Hartford, who's running for ah. governor, who desperately wants, Tony her Hart, to, desperately wants her to be here as running mate. So he puts out the press release from the mayor's office saying, they crashed out the original headline, please, please, Tony, be my running mate. I mean, Luke Bronin praises Tony Hart for what she did with Trump. This is a godfather moment, is it not? Yeah. And there's also a, so, are people coming to kiss the ring? So they are coming to kiss the ring, mm. which they've been doing, but it's a new opportunity. They're going to kiss the ring many times. Well, she's also being smart playing close to the vest. She's not running with anyone candidate, although I think she wants Lamont. I can't prove that. She didn't say that to me. She's going to wait to see, you know, maybe the last could be lieutenant governor. She's not running for it. She's running her city. And everybody loves you when you're not running for office. If she had been running for state office, they oh, would have called run, her a hot dog. Her, yeah. right. And the same people would have criticized her. Would have been against It's her. very right. interesting, but I don't know. She it's a, is. And look, you know, I, I often say to people, look, if you got to get a heart surgery, you don't go to your mechanic. <laughs> you know, so when you want a good politician, this is what this is where I have a problem with people who say people have been in office too long and they have not. This is what happens when you've been in office long enough to and you've been crafting your game. You don't get played like a baby grand piano down there by Donald Trump. And also, I think another when looking at the statewide reaction, I'm wondering what this augurs for the 2018 governor campaign and statewide campaigns. So underlying this dispute with Harp and and Trump. Is an idea about whether sanctuary cities make everybody safer or less safe. So the state Republican chairman immediately attacked Harp, saying she wants M13 and these Salvadoran gangs shooting up cities by being a sanctuary city. Now, this is actually preposterous because New Haven works so closely with Correct. the federal government against violent criminals. Correct. We've worked with Project Longevity. We've had our lowest violence in 50 years, and we're all confident that a big part of the reason is because we actually work with the federal government and share information about violent criminals. We don't have M13 here. We've identified every gang member and their friends. We've done this kind of affinity network. So every single violent person and problem close to violent person is in the radar. But what we're not doing with Sanctuary City is taking nonviolent offenders and after they've left jail, uh -huh. turning their information over to the feds, they need to build that trust with the argument, again, embraced by Republican police chiefs across the country who are for Trump. They agree that it's important to gain the trust of nonviolent, undocumented immigrants for their own safety and everybody else's safety. And that's because it doesn't serve their narrative, right? Their narrative of scaring people about certain types of gangs serves their narratives. It serves the people. And honestly, I think Bree Newsom kind of said that at her talk on she Wednesday. She gave a speech at Bedell Chapel that you covered. Which is that, like, you, you can't divorce kind of these systemic problems from racism. Those people inherently are afraid of Latino people. For no reason other than that they're brown. And, and so, and if, if they hear, even get a whiff that they're like, yes, there are those gangs out there, but they're not operating that way. And they're certainly not operating that way here in, 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 in New Haven because of what you just outlined. But the, out, the truth doesn't serve them. It doesn't serve their agenda of getting those people to vote, vote for them based on their fears. So what I'm wondering about the 2018 election is so the Republican state chairman clearly felt that attacking Tony Hawk for what she did and bring, making that an immigration and violence immigration soundbite was going to help them for 2018 with voters. Other people racing to Harp's side, besides the fact that some of them want her to run with them, the other people have the opposite view. They feel that 2018 is going to be a year when the grassroots in Connecticut will be motivated by a dislike of Trump and wanting to vote 
that they need to harness that to get a, a Democrat elected in Tafir, that in fact, sanctuary cities policy is popular, at least in cities, and that in the state it's going to help to affiliate themselves with Tony Hart's position against Trump, and that'll fact they win more votes. So I think we're going to find out who's right as the campaign comes on. Harry Jaros is someone who supports Trump, doesn't support <laughs> sanctuary cities. What did you think of that whole uh, Harp Trump drama this week? I gotta hear this. I really. Well, <laughs> I think she's doing the smart thing and staying away from it because he didn't give her. They, he, New Haven wasn't one of the, the cities that cities. was sent yeah. that letter, right? So as long as she doesn't get into debate with him, she could always say they weren't warned, they weren't anything. But it's like when I was young, right? And my boys decided to go. I had friends who did crimes, right? So my boys decided to go rob somebody, and I said, "Mm, I'm going home. Did that make me a genius or just, you know? I decided to go home and not do the dumb thing. No, no, it makes you a genius. It doesn't make me a genius. Yes, it, does. I, it just makes me smart enough not to do something bad. Not no, a genius. But it made you a genius. So, so what? Well, you, you go. Tony didn't know exactly what Trump was gonna do, no, but no, she was no. smart enough not to appear. So she was just smart. She's you not know. a genius. Oh well. Oh, what Trump did. She. Oh, she's a genius for not going through that. You didn't know what he was gonna do, but she was smart enough not to appear. Smart. Okay. But you were a genius, and I'll tell you why you were a genius, because you used the smarts. So genius comes from using all your collective knowledge if for a certain situation. That's genius. Well, that's you know what's that, genius? It's tuning and in to Pundit Friday on WNHH. <laughs> You're home for Community Radio, one of the 3.5 FM live stream. In New Haven and Ben.org, we're running down the week's headlines. Hey, last night there were headlines about overdoses. Um, there was mm-hmm. bad, bad batch of K2, that's synthetic cannabinoid or marijuana, and it used to be something that was legal. You could buy K2 at stores a few years ago, convenience stores. It's now become very popular in cities, mixed with a lot of bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a lot of people overdosing on it. Four people overdosed, two got in heart attacks. They didn't die in the hill within a few minutes of each other. And there were three other overdoses within an hour on either side. So the police thought something was going on. So they cranked into gear. And they said, okay, we got to get the word out about the street drug. Um, more people can get hurt. Although sometimes when you put out the word, especially it's fentanyl, people go looking for the drug for fentanyl high, which right. is really kind of crazy. Right. But other people can help them and put the word out. It's a bad batch. So they, 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 it was interesting for me to watch from a journalistic point of view what was going on. So we put the word out to help them get it out. And then it was changing by the minute what the facts are. And they had an, a press conference emergency. They activated the emergency operations center. And they got you know a big press conference. They put the Facebook Live video. People were following it. Then it turned out later that the other three overdoses did not have to do with the K2 because every day they go to 10 to 12 overdose calls. What was different here is that there were like seven within an hour or two. It turned out the other three were unrelated to K2. One was, and someone did die. One of them was PCP. Another one was, I forget, it was some kind of prescription medication. A couple things are interesting to me that K2 could be involved. I'm not sure it was mixed into the K2, but the need to get good information out fast. So this reminded us all of the middle of 2016. When there, when sixteen overdoses happened, a couple hours, four people died, I think, and what there it was a, a real emergency because there was a batch of cocaine that had fentanyl in it. Was that sixteen or fifteen? Oh, fifteen. Excuse yeah. me. So I remember when that was happening, the word was getting out. At that point, back then, they weren't as up on their game again. The word out. I remember at that time. We got the information just by luck, and we put it up there hours before the city got it, before that good information. So yesterday, 
did not turn out to be the big epidemic we thought. It didn't have to be this huge crisis day because it was a typical day, which is a crisis day, New Haven 10 to 12 overdoses, but there wasn't one batch that was going to be killing people. They had every reason to believe it could be. They had every believe, reason to believe to save lives, they had to swing into action. So all this new interdepartmental cooperation kicked into gear, fire department, emergency management department, police department, get public health, get the information out, update people really fast, even if on the other side it turns out it's not as big as we thought on the side of caution. Any thoughts about moving forward this is going to mean in a city where, without any change in the near future envisioned, we're going to have Cross information. overdoses all the time, oh. occasionally needs to get the information out. What's the best way to deal with that? Well, I think what happens is uh, with all the information that is collected, uh, this is one instance where it was used in, the, in, in a proper way. You know, it was advantageous to use that information. Uh, so I say to people who are hesitant to give out information or have it. Right, I really salute possible. them for putting it out. You right. do have to watch out not to overdo it. Correct. Overreact because then people won't listen as much. Like missing child. Now you get those things all the time. It's good they do it, but you kind of don't pay as much attention, right? And most of the time... Mm-hmm. It, it's not. You're it's right. a false alarm, but when oh, it's not a false alarm, it really matters. What is the worst part about the missing uh, child? I'm not going to go too far into that. The part that I don't like is when those go up on the highway, the first thing, I was in the car with someone, and the first thing came out of their mouth was, oh, the father must have abducted, abducted mm-hmm. the kid. And it could be true, but that does not mean that kid is not in danger. You know who was in danger and it didn't and was in real danger of losing his job this week was Gordon Edelstein. He's mm-hmm. the artistic director of the Long Wharf Theater and he's Mr. Public Face. Mm-hmm. And I'll admit my own bias. I thought he was a creep. I never knew about the sexual stuff. I, I always knew he was sort of like really nasty to people who thought they didn't have power and really sucked up people who did have power and very egotistical. But he put on some good plays. I saw one called The New War that was great and he was very well known. He's the public face of Long Wharf. And then Me Too hit like a ton of bricks. The New York Times had been quietly working on an expose for months. 24 people they interviewed where he had done just like way over the top horrible sexual misconduct, not just harassment, but actually physical actions. And within, they swung to action Monday morning at Long Wharf. They immediately suspended him. The next day they fired him. Some people praised them for acting swiftly. Other people said, why weren't you aware of this earlier? What was going on in your culture that people didn't bring this forward? And now they're going to, you know, they're going to, bring in some outside people to look at how they should do things differently internally to change the culture. Did you guys have any thoughts about how when like a neutron bomb, Me Too, dropped on Long Wharf this week? The I'd say the thoughts that I had was that probably what a lot of people thought was like, how did, given some of the things that he did, some of the comments that he would make in very public spaces like employee meetings, like why, you know, I applaud the people who are handling it now, but between the 24 people that, that have accused him of something, like, why did it? Why, I know why it took so long. I know the answer to that question. I can tell, I can tell you the <laughs> but, like, this, what is this the answer? Is, the, the answer is he is who he was. He came. He is who he is. He came <laughs> from New York with some level of success, right? Mm-hmm. He, that success they were hoping would translate into this theater in New Haven. It has. So he became more important than the people that he terrorized. Mm-hmm. And I'm using the word terrorized. Mm-hmm. He became more important to, to the people he terrorized. And those people, some of them did tell and did raise eyebrows. But that board decided to sort of say, this is more important to our our pockets mm-hmm. than the truth. You know, one of the things that's interesting is that while you were describing it, Paul, why did you say that he did put on good plays? Well, because I was saying, 
because I, I wanted to no, no, show no, them I I, the reason I did oh, that. No, he was successful. But yeah. that's why. You know, he, he was why successful. You know why? It's not, it's not really. I agree. The, it's part, part of how he got away with it. It's part of the story because it will tell you why they kept him and got away with it. And said basically the harassment and assault of these women was was less important than the success yeah. of the theater. And also yes. just to temper Joe. Joe, Joe. Joe is also I'm tempering sorry. it. I have such a bias because I personally hate the guy. Mm-hmm. I want to give him his due a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a play I love called The New War that oh, he experimented okay. there. Well, this is a lesson, okay. but this is a this is a lesson for everyone. <laughs> but we keep having these lessons of these powerful men, mm-hmm. you know, who people know. You cannot do these kinds of things in isolation. You Don't have to have him. help. You have to have people being accomplices to your foolishness. And that board was the accomplice to this foolishness. But they're not going to own it. What they're going to do now is damage control. Now they're going to get out in front and say, you know what? We're going to do everything we need to do to make this right now. But this cat has been at this for what? A decade? Weinstein and company all over. That whole board ought to resign. Whoa. Norma? (laughs) I I think this has to do with generation. Are the the um, baby boomers and older that was allowed, and you were never supposed to be damaged goods, so you never told, and people got away with it because they can make you successful. But I really strongly believe if you do an analysis, the baby boomers mm-hmm. don't because they were taught from day one: don't let no one touch you, and just tell. Whereas the baby boomers and older were never. They were always said, keep everything in the closet. So you mean the people Don't younger talk. than the baby boomers, you mean? Yeah. Yes. You mean the millennials? The millennials, yes. yeah. Millennials, and I bet you if you're doing analysis, they're not, there isn't so much me too, mm-hmm. you know, in right. that. And, and I, I think there's some truth to that extent, but of course the world has changed. And so- the fact that it is coming out, like I don't have any problem with it coming out. So I feel bad for the women who didn't feel like they could tell before. Right. I don't think um, is, is, is saying that it's bad. I don't think that that she feel she don't feel bad for the people who got abused. I hear what I, if I hear it correctly, she's identifying the statistics of where the problem really is. It's, you know, this problem's been around, but it's it's a good thing. I I believe is what she's saying that baby boomers taught their kids: you something happens, say something. That that is more on the front right now. Like, and you saw uh, Bertus Magnus with you, his honorary degree. He had mm-hmm. made a, They gave him one. He made a joke about having had sex with all the nuns a couple of times, which is really, can you imagine how Bertus felt? Again, oh. I'm still like, I don't understand how you can say something like that in public after you've already, you know, regardless <laughs> of what the punishment was for the, the initial woman who accused him and that they actually responded to her yeah. accusations. Yeah. Like, that that first that first thing that that was on record that he did like that's three strikes right there i you know he should have been fired then but they decided we're we're a place of second chances third chances they also claim they didn't have the full story back then even uh, though they didn't have the full story he should have been on notice so if you do something like this again if you say something crazy you gone there's a sense of entitlement in organizations Arts has their own way of people being very close quarters and emotional all day, but all industries where the people in charge kind of feel like they can do whatever they want to do. And it's kind of a given that people make raunchy jokes, just always made raunchy jokes. I kind of like the way the world's changing now so fast where it really wasn't that many months ago. It would never occur to anyone that you can lose your job instantly by, you know, even sexually propositioning people when you're in charge and doing disgusting things to them and making the comments from the broadcasting industry. Something that, you know, 
like everything else that we see or hear from celebrities, always you know find its way into society. One of the things that has been since the eighties has been really elevated is are shock jocks. Yeah. Shock jocks was something big. And right, what they do on the, the air is no yes. longer okay in private. That right. was on the air, and then no, 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 but and that had a culture beyond into into our society. What shock jocks did and how they talk, people start emulating it in society, in, you know, amongst each other and bringing yeah. it into the workplace. So that kind of conversation, like what he said about the nuns, he's being the shock jock. He has a mic in front of him, so he. He's grabbing, I remember when Tribune Company bought was bought and they were taking over all these radio stations. They elevated this guy Phillips, who was a shock jock, and they actually made that part of the culture. The women were reporting that not and off the air. It was sort of right. you're supposed to act like the shock jocks and more to kind of have a ratings driven culture. Exactly, Nor, Norma. You, you know what? Um, when I was director of the Atwater Senior, and my growing up years, we always had ethnic jokes. Mm-hmm. We always had religious jokes. You always started a joke with an Italian, Irish, and a Polish. And then you always started, there was a priest, a rabbi, and a minister. Mm-hmm. Now you can't do any of that stuff. That's a good point. That is all now politically totally incorrect. Unless it's the Al Franken, not Al Franken, Al, Al Schmidt's dinner. <laughs> so what about that, folks? Do you think you should be able to? Like, if African Americans are hanging around and there are no other people in the room... Can they be making Edward jokes? Is that cool? I know Jewish people, we make Jewish jokes and we're around. What do you think about that? You know, I have a thing about the whole N-word thing. I use it fluently. Yes, I do. Everybody knows that if you ever listen to me. I use it, and one of the things that I, I never tell young black uh, uh, kids that if they should or should not use it, I don't do it because I have my own my. Okay, separate from N word. What about just like jokes about black people? I know, but this no, is not about. Let me just highlight that, please, and then I'm going to move on. And then we could get to that because what I look at is I said, look, you know that word has been used to hold down, degrade our people for years. If you got these younger kids socially and economically empowering themselves with it, I'm not going to have a problem with that. However, I don't want someone of Italian background or Irish background, or if you're non-black, using that word. Because when I look at Jersey Shore and I hear him use the G word to describe himself, I don't call my Italian brothers and sisters G word. So as you ask, should it be now fluently across the board? No. What about, what were you going to say, Babs? I mean, that this is, so, this is something totally different than workplace sexual assault, workplace sexual harassment. So language is one thing, but the act of putting people in in sexually compromised situations in their right. workplace or right. any place where right. where it's not consensual um, is a different thing than people being able to use the word nigger or kike or whatever, no, whatever, so whatever the language is. Right. Right. You know, I think that's a I think we need to separate that and not have them mixed in okay, as some okay. kind of um, e- equal, you know, in, in, bad place, bad time, bad equal yeah. okay. kind of thing, because they're not. Right. They're not equal. And I agree with you, Babs. It's totally not equal. But Paul had raised, what do we yes. think about So Babs, I mean, Marquisha looked like she was going to jump in. I'm good. Babs covered it. Are you good letting people know that they're listening to Dateline New Haven? I am. Friday, WNHH, 103.5 live FM. Live streaming. Where, where, where are we live streaming? Um, the www.newhavenindependent.org. That's right. That's what I thought so, too. I got this cold, so I got my radio voice. <laughs> Keep That's that a nice radio girl. voice. Should Long Wharf hire folks? God, no. They're going to have to hire a new artistic director soon. They have an interim guy who's also the managing director. He's not going to be the job long term. Some people say you got to hire a woman. The chair, the chair of the board, Laura Papano, said to me, 
I'd love to have a woman, I'd love to have a trans man, but what's gonna first be the right fit with the right sensibility, so I'm not gonna prejudice the search by saying it's gonna be a woman. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna prejudice the search gonna say he's gonna be a trans man, for right. instance. But that'd be great, but I'm not gonna commit to it. Any thoughts on that? Agreed. Does that mean that 100%. they're really gonna make sure to do it? I think it's a look, I think women should be elevated. I don't have a problem with that, but I have a problem when we start singling out say it has to be this person because eventually what will happen you will start getting people who are underqualified or not qualified at all just based I on I understand that argument but the I don't I don't see I take issue with that argument because along what theater is not going to hire Babs Rose Ivy to run their theater <laughs> Why not? Then, I mean cuz I don't have any I'll background I'll get a season ticket I, <laughs> just, Babs are like you just coming to see me yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. wait a minute no 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 Cause, because because you know what you know why perhaps? no because yeah. I don't have the background but, but what but, will what will happen is when you say we're going to look for a woman for this role they will look in places that they didn't ordinarily look for the talent that they need where women would be you know and then they will p- turn their attentions what women out there are running theaters and plays in ways that they would not do if they was just perhaps, looking for give you a great anybody example. Joe some people responded to your point. Yeah. By saying there are so many qualified women out there that that's not a danger. To to go after that if they're going to say we're going to get a woman, you're not woman. in danger of getting underqualified women yeah, because there are so many gonna, qualified gonna, women. No, 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 that's, wait, not, that's what, not that here, can't be the excuse. What, here's why I'm not going to use it as an excuse. Let's look at B.S. Carson for example, Benjamin Solomon Carson. He's qualified as a being. A, he's a qualified surgeon. Yeah, but, but he's he a great but he was person. but he was chosen but by somebody who was already unqualified anyway. Good so that doesn't count. count. You just raised my point. <laughs> no, that but it countered your point, count. Joe. They could have said we want someone African American and get someone who actually knows something about housing. That's what they did with. Benjamin they literally could have called Karen Dubois Wild. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and they did. They literally could have called her. She would have said no, but they could have called her. But they did. I didn't they went again. They say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to go get the black guy who, who that I know that came out of housing." That's what happens when you say you want a black person. No in this situation, these woman. folks are in a crisis situation. They mm-hmm. don't want to compound one bad dis- earlier bad decisions and the current firestorm that they're under with another bad decision. Norma, you look like you want to jump. Can you get close to Mike? But they you know, sometimes in situations in which you need, okay, because the need requires it, okay. For instance, when you need bilingual individuals because there's a need to serve a population. So now you have to narrow it down to somebody that is bilingual that can speak the language that is necessary. Mm -hmm. It's the same way when, you know, there comes a time you cannot really depend on the popular vote because many times the votes are not there unless the situation is created Mm -hmm. so that it can happen. Okay. Lucy Gelman writes in, can you mention the number of really good guest directors they've had that are WOC, not sure what WOC means, women, women of color. color, in the past two years, there are a number of qualified women who would kick ass at that job. And I also recommend that everyone go to the arts paper, the art paper, the, new, the mm-hmm. Arts Council of New Haven, the best interview out of the whole fallout this week, and I didn't even see it till this morning, was with Laura Papana by Lucy Gelman, pressed her in a way that I didn't and other male reporters on... Beyond the statements just saying when she said, well, we didn't know all that went on, so now we're taking care of it, we couldn't act then. It was the best job of, of really holding her accountable. So I recommend everyone go to Arts Paper. The, Lucy um, the Great. Lucy the Arts the great. Council of Great New Haven. That's why that she's Lucy the Great. Lucy. So, um, folks, what about, I want to switch gears a little here. There was a really interesting community meeting in West River this week. It wasn't publicized. And people turned out who live in West River 
low-income people, people of color, and a bunch of doctors from Yellow Haven, young doctors showed up. And they were together complaining about a new plan to change the way we deliver health care to poor people in New Haven. So right now, when you go to the doctor and you're on Medicaid, you often go to a primary care center. They're hoping you don't go to the emergency room. You go to a real doctor, something called a primary care center. We're talking now over 28,000 people do that. Another tens of thousands of people go to primary care at clinics, Hill Health Center, Fairhaven. Now, the primary care center, the biggest one is Yale Haven. It's at three locations, York Street, Upper Chapel near St. Ray's, and Whitney Avenue. They're old facilities. They're not in good shape. They want to consolidate all of them and get a new, big, renovated facility, $15 million on Sergeant Drive. Make it all in one spot and make it really modern and bigger. And here's the kicker, which I really like. I'm not saying this is altruism, but what I really like about it is they're going to have Fairhaven Health Center, Hill Health Center, run it. The people really know how to deliver primary care and help those organizations become more financially stable. These people turn out and said, that's all great. But they were really upset about the move of the location because right, right now a lot of them walk to their doctor. Mm-hmm. In New Haven, you don't get a bus somewhere. You can't count on a bus anywhere, especially Long Wharf. Mm-hmm. I mean, Connecticut Transit State just don't care about buses in New Haven. So you're going to move at a place where nobody can walk. And it's going to be, they said it's going to be hard to get to. And Stacy Spell, especially, he's an organizer, retired detective in West River. He was saying, We've worked for years on this very issue. We did so much work to convince our people. Not to go to the emergency room where it's more expensive and ties up the staff from dealing with emergencies. Not to go there for non-emergencies, but go to this primary care center, which admittedly was pretty run down. So he's saying, why is this the only place you can go? The people who run Fairhaven Health Clinic and Hill Health Center in Yale say, well, we looked for three years and there really was no other adequate place. Plus that has a lot of parking. People drive and some people do drive. And um, if you live in the Hill, at least, you can walk to Hill Health Center too. Right, so you could, you could switch over there. So this is going to be, they have to get regulatory approvals for this big change. I think it's a complicated issue. I was surprised at the level of opposition based on that one factor. Any thoughts from you folks? I remember Norma. CHCP when it first opened. That's the community health care plan at the same location. That's right. back before HMOs were evil. That's when they were actually idealistic, when community groups ran them. And the point wasn't to try to stop you from getting health care so they could make profit. It was nonprofit, and the idea was to more efficiently do health care by having one spot where they're taking care of everything you need and direct you, which actually this new center is going to do. They're going to yeah, pri- well, private health care came in and they made it evil and they, they gave incentives to their for-profit workers to deny people's care. But they're trying to revive some of that. This would be nonprofit, and it, there would be moving x-rays there where you get your prescription pills. There would be a doctor. They call it a medical home to kind of direct your care. But what about this transit issue? How do you folks see this one being navigated? Exactly what they said. I mean, you, why would you take it out of community opposed to build it up within the community? I mean, I, it's one centralized... I think, you know, I I always think poor people are always the pawns in people's decisions to sort of create stuff. Mm -hmm. Now, what is going to happen when somebody gets the bright idea to really develop that waterfront property? That's right. And then have to move these poor, because they just, because poor people, we already know, are expendable. Mm -hmm. They don't carry much weight. So when they get tired of having all these poor people on the waterfront property that they really want to redevelop into some high end stuff, then they're going to have to move these people again. (laughs) Why can't, you know, we always have these conversations about strengthening communities and neighborhoods. Why won't we strengthen these medical facilities in communities? 
and put the resources there so that people feel like they have this kind of medical access in their communities. You know, well, there were two. Is there were two the, yeah. Are they proposing that the building at the corner of Church Street South and Sergeant Drive? Is that no? The, it's right next to Long Wharf Theater. It's okay. by it's by Church. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the road Church Street South. Correct. correct. The, the new one. One fifty Sergeant. Yeah, yeah. So, it's so, now an ambulatory right. care center. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man, this is beautiful. Like you said, perhaps. But let's look at it one second. They develop over there. Let's just think, because there's a big proposal now to develop that area. Let's just say they develop that area. Is that facility going to get, let's just say if we keep it in the neighborhoods, would that facility get better care than the neighborhoods? You know, to our readers pointed out two suggestions. One person said, why not put the Yale shuttle to go there? Because that's, you know, we have the apartheid bus system. Yale shuttle's pretty good. <laughs> so why don't we let them get on the People bus, on the like Yale bus. You say that. Or Yale New Haven has a shuttle. I actually thought it was a pretty good suggestion. I want to tell a story featured that. Another idea from a reader was, there's a big, I wonder if it's big enough. There's a big vacant lot. It's been vacant a long time on, um, on Whaley Avenue. I'm trying to think the cross street. It might be Winthrop. You know which one I'm talking about across yes, from the yes, pizza yes, place yes, yes. and a um, block from Edge of the Woods across the street next to the oh, uh, yeah. soul food place. It's they said, I thought now, I don't, uh -huh. that might not be big enough. It's not as big as it looks. It's big. I don't, it's not it's nearly not really as big, big as the 150 stars and drive, which says that you could go up you for the, go you can go it's up and, and go yeah. Up. I thought that was, I love when our readers come out. You know, yeah. it's interesting because I actually think they they came from a good place with this proposal. I think, I think modernizing, expanding and having the health centers both run it and get financially strong at her time I, and their strength. I, I, I'm, I'm for that. It's just location, yeah. I think, is a problem. Right. Because we already know we have an apartheid bus system. <laughs> I, I like True. that. Because like it, it really like is that. that. Although it's not fully race. It is racial, but it's also economic. It's mm. class and race. Yes. Oh, yeah. Which is the same thing to me. Because <laughs> um, if you're black, you can ride it. But if you live in Dixwell, it doesn't go to Dixwell. But the problem yeah. is... We don't think about these things a decade out. Mm. Yeah. You know, two, decades, two decades out. Because somebody's going right to, because listen. And somebody knew those facilities were deteriorating. Yes. It's not a surprise. It's not a surprise. And uh, that, that, that little corridor is going to become something, something major. We don't know what. But, you know, you got the boathouse over there that's mm. going to garner some folks wanting to use it and it's going to be high. Oh, there's a whole big that. plan we're doing that Marquise has been writing about trying to build up the whole thing. You're totally on point. Yes. <laughs> and the hotels are going to change. So it's, it's like this, that little Sesame Street song. One of these things is not yeah, like right. the other. So that little medical facility is not going to fit in with the ultimate design of whatever that was. I wonder about process like. here. You know, they spent years putting together this plan with grassroots groups for Haven in the Hill. Great people. They have this first public meeting after they've submitted the proposal. And they find out there's a fundamental concern they're going to have to deal with. I wonder if, and maybe there's something I'm missing, I'm wondering if they had revealed this idea before submitting the proposal and gotten public input, they would have had an earlier warning system. Because now they're invested in it. Mm. I mean, they've started the approval process. They're starting to renovate the place. Yeah. And, uh, and that's before they heard from the public that, wait a second, there's a real big concern here. Not with the concept, but with the but location. So I mean, but see, that just speaks to the disrespect of poor people and not concerning themselves with what is what is in the best interest of people who are often margin marginalized and pushed to the back of things. You know, Robin Porter, state representative, brought up that issue about a different a group of people. She said black women have been left out of the Women's March, women's rights movement mm -hmm. that grew out of the Trump election, mm -hmm. even though it grew out of work originally done by black women. And she, we had an anniversary of the Women's March. There were, uh, I think, 10,000 people at State Capitol last Saturday. Correct. 
And she came up and gave a speech. She said, I wasn't even going to show up. My friends don't want to show up. We feel too marginalized that you don't pick up the concerns we have, whether it's police misconduct, HIV, AIDS, things affecting black women, even though you, you built your movement on our shoulders. But I'm showing up to say, I think you need to, and to go forward. And then she got lots of applause from the mostly white crowd and a chance of um, Black Lives Matter. Any thoughts on her speech, what needed to be said, and what will happen moving forward with that movement? I think it was a great speech. I, I think what she said, she hit, hit it on point. Uh, black woman she was fired up. the forefront. She was totally fired up. I, I think she spoke from the heart. I, and along with saying all of these things, uh, I hope uh, someone let uh, legislative uh, Porter know that I want her on the Joe Ugly in the Morning Show. I, I just think you know what Robin and you know Robin is good friends of ours. We hang out together. Oh, you do. We talk personally. Yes, I we mean, have her. We can contact. We we talk to her all the time. So we had we we. This is not new she was conversation. speaking for us. Like that's, yeah. that's a conversation we had at the salon. Yeah, we had this conversation. Because listen, let me tell you something. The white women in the park in a pink hat is just white women in the park in a pink hat. Until these white women support black women running for office, until they put money in pockets of women running for office, until they get other white women to the polls, they are just white women in pink hats in the park and then you had a white woman running for president and black women Voting voted for, for her and white Absolutely. women didn't in the same and, numbers that was bizarre and i think robin said this <laughs> again back bizarre. back to brie newsom said this like we don't need white allies we need white accomplices we need people who are Say willing to Say put again. themselves Hallelujah. i don't i, I don't need you to mom. put on a pink hat i don't need you to to put on I your little it. safety pen i need you to do something right? if you see Black folks being harassed by the police go use your whiteness to say hello, Mr. Police Officer. My friend Ann Mazzaro, so my my friend <laughs> Ann Mazzaro, who does uh, the the the, the ally, women and allies um, stuff, she is one of those women. She is one of these white women that will get out of her car when she sees black folks pulled over, mm-hmm. and the police have said to her on a lot. Of, Why are you? He's like, I'm just going to watch and see what happens. You know, watching you know? is powerful. It is very powerful. That was how the Black white. Panther Party started no, when no. in Oakland when in 1966, they watched yeah, the police. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, when so, you're white, when you're and, white and, it's powerful. you know, I know people get in their feelings black when too, we that's talk what Huey about... Newton did. No, uh, it don't work well, like that. Well, when you're black, it might get you you catch a beat down. Yeah, they got beat downs, but they were watching. Yeah, but like, but you still need somebody to tell the folks about your beat down because in our society, your word is not enough. Your story is not enough. People are going to ask, did that really happen? Did you misinterpret what happened? And clearly, your phone alone is not enough. Exactly, because black is a weapon. And so, your camera only see black. So, in you know, in the context of it's it's this conversation that we're having in terms of pay pay equity, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a white woman and you see you you find out you discover that the p- women of color in your business and your company are being paid less. Next time you go for a raise, bring her with you. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what an actress name. Um, her last name is Chastine. I can't catch yeah, her first Jessica. name. Jessica. Jessica Chastine did for Octavia Spencer for the movie right. The Help. Right. Where she, she discovered that once Octavia Butler told her that she was getting five, like way less than what she was getting, she was like, "Oh, well, girl, come on. The next time we go negotiate, coming with me." We need and made sure that they got that they both got five times we need the salary than that they were initially going to be offered. You need accomplices. You need accomplices. Can I? Just- and that's what Robin Porter was was telling those white women in Hartford. The black women, we're, we do this work. Every we day. go to the polls every time. Every day. And we do what's best, not just for us, for everyone. For everyone. So what we need is you to stand in the gap with us. Because if we just come alongside saving us. the world, 
y'all are going to be in trouble. Absolutely. <laughs> if we Absolutely. stay home. You will just be white women marching in a park. With pink hats. With pink hats. I and like, look, don't I, put I, that I, hat on Harriet Tubman no more. Don't do that. I like, yes. I like the pink hat. Don't hats. do that. I want a pink hat. Oh, you can have the one they tried to put on Harriet Tubman. Uh, but, but, I won't, but I won't, I won't wear it to rally. You can wear a pink onesie. I'll wear it in the privacy of my house, okay? Okay, that's fine. Paul, can I just add uh, back to the little long wolf thing? Um, that <laughs> He's like, I'm still at long I thought wolf. we were ending on an incredible inspirational note here. We got to go back to long wolf. Okay. Believe me. Um, you got to match what they, they were pretty hot. Yeah, they were real hot. We could bring them back after me. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm telling you, uh, the the building up of Long Wolf, I have two words. Bedrock. Bedrock. I only hope that if they decide to build over there, that's a landfill. If they decide to build over there, they don't do like what they did in San Francisco. This is so serious. When I say, let's not close our eyes on this. I hope city planners and the people who are responsible for checking this stuff, make sure they go to Bedrock. Because you put these buildings up in the air and all of us, they don't have the support. We're gonna have ourselves. A I agree with you, Joe. But to me, that is not a closing inspirational line like <laughs> they were saying with the music underneath. I'm sorry. I don't think he understands my. Actually, music I was getting can into we, it. Can you guys do it? Joe is our environment guy. He is so worried I'm about things falling into the ocean. But no, coastal and climate change and rising. We're totally right. But you guys want to try to recapture that? <laughs> <laughs> it's over, uh, huh? You only get this black girl magic once. <laughs> sorry. One week, we're gonna sorry. close the show on time with the music starting when you guys are gone. I thought we had it this week till we got the rising tides, but we still got them. And it did prove that Joe Ugly does know how to savor the flavor of misbehavior, as we said at the beginning of the show. As we were, thank you for joining us on Pundit Friday. What a great time every week. I know I always learn something. And I learned that from Babs Rolls Ivy, Norma Rodriguez Reyes, Marquisha Ricks, Joe Ugly, and Harry Dross. We're going to uh, take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience. Performing I Wish I Knew How It Feel to Be Free. From the group CD, A Plea for Peace. I don't think I've ever seen them wear pink hats, but they do know how to play. <laughs> now, we know what it's like to be free. We just got to remember to book our flight. Book it and fly free with us all weekend long here at WNHH. Your home for community radio. Radio.